So we're continuing on. Let's read these scriptures. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you will have all sufficiency in all things. Now here's the clincher for the prosperity people. Having an abundance for every good work. He didn't say that uh, you're getting this so you can build big mansions. He didn't say that you can have airplanes and you can indulge your life. He didn't say that at all. Uh huh. He said that you can help in the works of God. You're supposed to be God, a Christian. You're his slave. You're a steward of what he gives you. And he's a generous steward, and he lets us live within moderation if we've got the means. But he's not into self-indulgence and living in worldly things and being captivated by money and power. So notice what he says. He's given an abundance for every good work. Good work is not being selfish. It's not being materialistic, prospering, and enjoying yourself. You need to sort of figure out who you belong to. Okay. Now look at 11 and 12 verse. So while you are enriched in everything for all liberality. He said that you are rich that you can build seven more homes and get two more airplanes. He didn't say that you can acquire millions and put it in a bank account. He's talking to a Christian here. You're rich in everything for all liberality. It's for the ministry in the body of Christ. It's for God's will. So if you have the gift of giving, you're not to turn that on yourself. You'll answer to God for being a thief and a robber and a bad steward, okay? which causes thanksgiving to God. And so the ministries and the people you help when you're being prospered by the Lord financially for certain ministries, they will pray for you. They will do their duties. And you'll all share in the ministry and the work of the Lord. The Lord keeps records of all these things. Okay. Verse 12. For the administration of these services not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also in abounding through many to thanksgiving. The Christian is helping other Christians and other ministries. And they're praying for you that God will bless you for being obedient. Uh-huh. So he's saying that it works both ways. You're giving to God's people in Christ's name. And Christ is looking at it. And he's keeping records. He's a rewarder of those who serve him. He, every idle word the wicked man speaks, he will answer for in the day of judgment. Every minor good deed a Christian does, just giving someone a glass of water or coffee, he said he will not lose his reward. That's God's way. He will punish the wicked for every deed and reward the righteous for doing things in Christ's name. So if you are prospering and you got lots of money 
and you're a Christian, you better seek your position and make sure the Lord approves what you're doing. And if you decrease and increase outwardly, it's no sign you're spiritual or you're not. See, people base it on that. No, Paul learned how to be a base. He lived with nothing. He fasted at times because he didn't have no food. He wasn't led to fast spiritually. He did not have no food. He was under conflict and warfare. And so different testings come to different Christians. And we have to be prepared to take what his providence sends our way. As Job did, the Lord blesses, he said, and the Lord takes away. The Lord gives and he takes away. Bless him. It means we understand with the Lord in all of these outward circumstances. If not, you'll never be spiritual. Okay. Verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. So if you don't have contentment, you're bound to this world. You're bound to money and power and things. Contentment means you're content with your lot. Not that you're content spiritually. We always seek more. We're to be poor in spirit. Always seeking more of the Lord. And we want to grow in grace. And we want to know his will and know him better. So he's not talking about spiritual thing here. He's talking about earthly things. Uh huh. So if you have godliness, it has a great gain. If you have contentment, you're not ruled by materialism. You can live with it. You can live without it. You know how to do. And you know the Lord will never leave nor forsake you. And so you'll not starve to death. Now, you could be put in prison by the wicked world and starve to death, and the Lord give you grace to die, as he gives the martyrs grace. But in general, he's talking about be content. But people aren't content because they're bound to this world. And most of the professing Christians who think they're born again and spirit-filled fall into that category. Uh-huh. So all of their theologies are going to do a bit of good. God looks at the motive and intent. You're not content. Okay, and he'll deal with that later. Okay? So godliness is a gain, a great gain, if one has contentment in this world, in worldly possessions, what he's talking about, in one's lot in this life. So a Christian slave was to be godly, and he is to be contented and serve his master as he's serving Christ. And then it's God's business if he wants to free him or give him grace in that position. It applies to every place that a Christian is. He answers to the Lord. And the Lord's able to change providence when he wants to. And sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. And so there have been Christian slaves lived their whole lives serving masters. And many of them were not that kind. But Christ gave them grace and strength. And they got greater rewards than many Christians that were free and were not under the yoke. Okay? So he works it all out. Contentment is satisfaction in one's life and things. Earthly he's talking about, the natural realm. Again, not spiritual contentment, for we ought to have be poor in spirit, always seeking the Lord, more of him, wanting to know his way. 
wanting to know him better. See, we're always to pursue those spiritual things. So he's talking about earthly things. Uh So we want to advance as spiritually and be Christ-like and know God better. But over our earthly lot, we're to be content. We're not to be covetous, greedy, materialistic-minded, earthly, carnal, bound to things that are not of God. See, as we said, all things are neutral. Nothing wrong with money and things if you use them properly. Lawliness is the word transgression. It means you go beyond what God has established. So as we've said before, God intended sex and marriage to be pleasurable, a great experience for the married couple. It's blessed. But if you get into adultery and fornication, then you're cursed. It'll send you to hell. See, you've transgressed. You've gone beyond what God intended that for. And that applies to everything. So if you've got money, you use it with the moderation. You serve the Lord and his ministries. But you don't become self-indulgent like the rich man. He said, I've filled up my barns with goods and I have so much. What shall I do? He said, well, I'll tear them down and build bigger barns. And the Lord said, you fool, don't you know your life's required of you tonight? And then who's going to own all of that while you're in hell, is what he meant. See, you're living for the world and things, but your life's going to be short. As James says, it's just a vapor, appears for a little while. Uh So we have to use things, many things. Every object, every materialistic thing can be used for good or for evil. It's how the person uses it which reveals what's in his heart. Okay. Let's go again to Romans chapter 1, 25. Talk about the wickedness of the world and people getting more wicked. During Noah's time, he wiped them out for that. He used human terminology. He said, I didn't expect man to become that wicked. I won't destroy them all. Okay. Uh, And he did, okay. It said the people, the corrupt people, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator is blessed forever. That's called idolatry. They took money and things and possessions and they put them before God who made them. They took all of the gifts of God that he intended to bless people with and they turned him to selfishness and idolatry. But he says that's what happened to him. That's what happens to the simple, corrupt mind that will not submit to the Lord. There are consequences for his actions, and it kept getting worse and worse. So the sinners worshipped and served the creature and the things around him the creation, what God created. And they say, oh, how wonderful it is. And you got worldly people. Look, it's all the sky's beautiful, the galaxies. Look at all the millions of birds and plants. And they worship it and they ignore God. They forget he's the one that made all of this. He's the one who sustains all of this. 
And when they put their honor and glory on something, it's idolatry. They exchange the truth for a lie. You worship the creation. And that's what coveting is. Idolatry called it. You worship money. You put mammon above Christ. You put your self-indulgent pleasures and your happiness before the will of God. Uh-huh. It's called idolatry. And Paul said, you know that covetousness is idolatry. And you know, he makes this a statement. You don't have to worry about it. He says, and you know that no idolater will enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's what he has to say about a lot of this prosperity faith movement, okay? For the God is the maker of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. And you take his gifts and honor them above God, okay? That's the argument he has with them. They pervert the things that God made. We see that in all kinds of sin. Covetousness, sexual immorality, greed, these are all taking legitimate gifts and perverting them, taking them transgression beyond what they were meant. And God's going to hold them accountable for misusing. It says, for every good gift comes from above, but man makes it an evil gift. He turns it. He perverts it. And Satan did the same thing as Lucifer. He said, you are perfect in all your ways, until iniquity was found in you. And what was that iniquity? Your wisdom was corrupted. Instead of being the light bearer and showing God's glory to the angels in a special way, you wanted to be a light. And now you're in darkness. You don't have a light. You're the prince of darkness and evil. See, that was the consequences of trying to turn and misuse the gifts of God. So becoming transgression, dressers, going beyond the lawful uses of things. Moderation and possessions to covetousness and hoardings. People who hoard things, things, things. They're on the verge of death. And they don't want to let go of these earthly things. They're not focusing on really what God wants. And they'll find out when it's too late, okay? So the Christian must be careful in whatever state he's in. If he's in a base state, be content and trust the Lord. If he's having an abundance and he's prospering, then use it wisely within moderation. The word says God gives us richly, the Christian, all things to enjoy. But he didn't say to indulge selfish pleasures. He didn't say to pamper yourself. He didn't say to let other people suffer so you can enjoy your pleasures. It already shows what the nature is of the person, okay? Everything God made is good. It is the misuse of these things that are evil, okay? Verse 7, we brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it. Now, people need to remember that. You came in naked from the womb, and you will die, and your body will rot and return to the soil. Only your spirit soul will go up 
or go down according to how you lived and who your master is. So we say in this world, everything's bound here and it stays here. You're not taking it with you. You're not going to take it up there. Some of these prosperity people think they're going to have their gold bricks making their mansions bigger and bigger. I could just see them running around. This is the streets of gold. Can't you see them picking up the bricks and wheelbarrows to build bigger mansions? They call that godliness. <laughs> Boy, are they deceived. Huh? So we were born in an earthly, physical realm, but we are spiritual beings also. When we leave here, we go to heaven or we go to hell, the human does. We will live as new creations, if we're Christians, forever. The dead will be resurrected. It's called the resurrection of the damned. They will be given spiritual bodies fit to be punished in the lake of fire. That's something. They're spiritual beings like the devil was and is before and after, okay? So everything here and all of our works, they will be judged and evaluated and who our master is. And the rewards and the punishments will await for us for how we lived on this earth. As James said, well, what is your life but a vapor that appears for a little while. Uh, it's like you're boiling uh, something, a stew, and it takes hours to boil it right. And once in a while, you go and lift the lid and a puff of vapor goes up. And he said, compared to time, that's what your life is. Your, your life is short. So what if you live to be 80, 90, 100? Mm -hmm. It's nothing compared to eternity. It's a drop of water in the ocean. And what's done here determines that position and place that people are going. So to be with God is never-ending life. He said, bless. He will show his kindness to us forever. We shall know him as we are known. Nothing of the old world will be there. No pain, no suffering, no bad memories, everything. That's what he made us for, like he made the angels. Or everlasting punishment, God's wrath and burning toward the wicked that he takes vengeance on and shows no mercy to when they are confined to the lake of fire. Okay, Horrible thing, but people don't seem to think much about it, do they? So verse 7 like he said, we brought nothing in the world and we're not taking anything out. Now he gets back to the earthly. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Now that's a big one. I find very few Christians and we fight our own nature. Are you really content that you've got food and that you have some clothes on your back? You know, actually, Street people have that. And God could call a Christian to live that way. And he would sustain him. Uh -huh. See, that shocks people, don't it? And they keep seeking more and more. And they're not faithful to God for what they've already been given. 
I've heard many people say, oh, if I was rich, I'd do this and that. If I won the lottery, I'd do... No, you weren't. You'd be just like you are, selfish and self-centered. Your nature won't change. If you don't be generous with what you have now, if you don't help people and serve the Lord, you're not going to do it when you have lots. Your nature is not going to change, okay? So with food to sustain one, earthly body, that's what we need. And clothes to keep us warm and cover our nakedness because we live in a corrupt world. He said, be content. It means be satisfied. Be satisfied with your baseness and say, okay, Lord, this is where I'm at. It's your position to move it. And if you don't want to change it, then give me grace. And you'll not be offended. Many people are offended. The slightest problems happen to them. They don't make the money they had. They get mad at God. Because they don't understand spiritual things. They're bound to the earth. God richly gives us many things to enjoy. We talk about moderation. He doesn't care if we use things and we can afford it. But we can't afford to neglect God or his ministries or what he wants. You can't do that. I've heard people say, well, I have a hard time giving a tithe because I have four kids and I have this and I have that. And I said, that's that's true. I said, but you go on vacations three times a year. You spend lots of money on trivial things. That's why you don't have time to serve God. See? You don't put people in God's will and perspective. And the more you get, now I just saw the news report. The average person that makes $100,000 a year is living from paycheck to paycheck. Isn't that astounding? You know why? Because the more he gets, the more he builds, the more that he gets, he can't be content. He had to keep up with the Joneses. And yet the government says, well, people would be content maybe when they had 200000 secure. No, they wouldn't. They keep going and going because that's where their heart is. It won't change. And so God with the Christian punishes them. He takes things from them. He takes them through situations until they either learn how to submit to his will or they rebel. And that's his intention. Get in or get out. Like the Laodiceans, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. So I'm going to push you off because you make me sick to my stomach. See, you're double-minded. And James makes an interesting statement. Scares me sometimes because I have to ponder and deal with it. He said, let not the double-minded person think he shall receive anything from the Lord. These are supposed to be Christian. He said, one day you're up, one day you're down, you're serving the Lord, serving yourself. You're on a roller coaster. He said, don't ask God for anything because you're not getting anything. You're bound to the world. You have high aspirations, but you don't put any action to it. Your faith is passive. Your Christianity is passive. It's not active, so it doesn't do you any good, okay? So that's what he's talking about. So the Christian must learn to trust God in his present lot. And we have people in different countries. There are Christians in the Ukraine. There are Christians in Africa, and they have to live and bear a lot of things we don't because of the wars and the societies 
They adjust. They had to adjust during the wars. So there's Christians in every country to some degree, and they endure more because the society is under certain oppressions. And God is not going to have a Christian who's a millionaire running around enjoying himself while everybody he looks at is starving to death. That's not his way. Uh -huh. But he will sustain the Christian having food and raiment. See, we're not called to that yet. But we're going to come under a stricter judgment. For much is given, much is required. See? You think it's God's blessing. Well, I heard years and years ago, people came out of this communist country and brought the kids with them to America. And after 10 years, they were wishing they were back in that place where they were persecuted and they were godly. He said, now our Christians, our children, our teenagers and adults, they're caught up in the covetousness and greed and all this demonic music. And he said, we're better, we were better off there. Yeah. We could live the Christian way. We understood things were black and white. Here, everybody's a Christian, but they don't live Christianity. See, they're coming under a greater judgment, those who live in affluent societies. Okay? So we trust the Lord in our present lot, and we wait for him to deliver us out of it. And if he does it, he gives us grace to live in it. That's his choice. It's not ours. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Sufficient for today is the grace we get. Our daily bread, our needs, whatever we need, he says, he supplies for us. The trouble with people and Christians, it doesn't suit them. They want to regulate. They want to be the boss. And the Lord won't have it. He said, how can you be my disciple if you don't do what I tell you? And he has the right to test. We're under probation. We have a spiritual warfare to live. We have to overcome. We have a pilgrimage. We're in a wicked world, and we're of another kingdom. We're not to be bound here. We use the world, but we don't abuse it, and we don't let it abuse us. Okay, so. God lets us abound at times. He gives us prosperity. He gives us baseness. Some people have prosperity all their life. Very few of them are making it into the kingdom. Very few of them are Christians. But there have been some. There have been some because they understand who they live for and who has the right. You might be worth millions. And if you're a sound Christian, the Lord could speak to you in a dream and tell you sell everything tomorrow. And what are you going to do? Argue with him? He says, it's mine anyway. I've just let you be a steward. I've let you enjoy this with a moderation. But I have another plan now. Get rid of it. And if you can't do it, you're not going to make it into the kingdom. Okay? So we have to remind ourselves daily who we belong to. And poor people are not be excused. Poor people can and are just as proud and greedy as the rich. They just don't have the means to live like they do. But that's what they want. Their heart's coveting. 
Oh, I know poor people, but they're always complaining. They don't have this, they don't have that. Uh, but when you look at them, uh, they reveal they don't have a godly heart anyway. They're selfish. They want all of this to suit themselves. They're not content. Uh -huh. And they envy people who have money. Some of them have it legitimately. Some of them are crooks. But all the rich aren't wicked. Most of them are. But most of the poor are wicked too, okay? So some rich, as he says, must be rich in good works if you are Christians. Uh -huh. We're under heaven's burdens and duties to God. Much is given, much will be required. So if you live all of your wealth and money to do as you please, you're not going to have a place in the kingdom. We submit ourselves. He lets us use liberty and freedom with many things we have. He doesn't make it an issue sometimes unless we make it an issue. If we're greedy and selfish, then he can make it an issue. If you're a rich Christian and you help people and you're rich in good works, he don't have to say you have to get rid of everything. Remove the tax collector. The Lord saw him up in the tree and said, come on down, I'm going to eat with you today. And immediately he says, because everybody thought the tax collector was a wicked crook anyway, he said, if I've stolen anything, I'll pay back four times. That's the law required it. And I give half my goods to the poor. Well, he was probably worth today in our money a million dollars. He was rich. And Jesus didn't say, no, I want everything. He looked around and said, now, isn't this a child of Abraham? He considered him righteous. And he didn't tell him you have to get rid of your other half. He was still had money. But his heart proved he was a righteous Jew. And he was trying to be righteous according to the law. And so the Lord accepted him. But the rich young ruler, the Lord wouldn't accept half. He said, go and sell everything. And if the rich young ruler said, well, I'll give half, the Lord would say, you can't come with me. See, he knows the individual he knows their lot. He knows their personality. He knows what he wants of them. And that's his right to decide. Verse 9. Now, here's the great warning nobody reads, especially the prosperity people don't read it. Okay. But those who want to get rich, he's talking to Christians. Those who have a desire to get rich fall into temptations and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Spiritual ruin and destruction, hellfire. That's what it leads them, okay? They want to. He speaks, Paul, as if it's a negative. You don't see him encouraging it. He just says, if you want this, he tells you. He's already told you. And he's going to tell you later, if you have money, what you better do with it. But you who want it, he implied that most Christians do not seek to be rich. Because it works a negative to the human nature and a greater responsibility to God and greater temptations. So he does not encourage that state. Why? He said, if it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Well, there are two views on this, and one of them I found interesting, that the eye of the needle 
Some thought it was a sewing needle, but others said it was a hole in the walls of the city there were doors, and they let people come in at certain times so they could examine them, especially had enemies out. And at night, they closed them all for protection, and the watchman watched the walls. But he would come with his camel loaded with goods. But to get into the eye of the needle here, he had to take all the goods off the camel, get the camel down on his knees almost, because he he's a tall bee, and he'd push him. Him and the friends would help push him all the way through the wall. Then they'd pick up their burdens and go into it. But he's simply saying the camel could not do it with the load on him. So it's the same principle. Don't matter whether it's a hole in the wall or going through a literal needle. He's saying that's how difficult it is for a rich man to get into heaven. So that's what Jesus said. So the animal carrying the loads of goods had to be stripped of them if he wanted to get into the city. So if a Christian wants to get into the kingdom, he cannot be bound by money and materialism. It cannot rule him because he can't take it with him anyway. Okay. So you that desire to be rich fall into temptations. What's the temptation? You begin to trust in money and its power and its prestige that it gives you in the world. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians. We've been there many times. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 first. For you see your Christian calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the world not many mighty, not many noble are called. That includes the rich. And then he says, 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So he said, not many of those people does God save because they have a lot to get rid of before they can come to him. And if you're rich already and wicked, it's going to be harder for you to make that decision. If you're poor and you have nothing, it's easy to make that decision. Uh huh. So not many rich are going to make it. Uh huh. He says, so look at your Christian call to salvation. See, that money and influence and power, they can't give up. But God does it, what? That no man should glory. His things don't impress God. What you have, what you are, your personality, your breeding, your genealogy, they don't mean nothing to God. He's not a respecter of persons, but he means a lot when he judges. He's going to consider all of that and what you didn't do with the extra things that that providence had given you, okay? So God, he has an intrinsic value in our spiritual life. People without riches, and that's a lot of Christians, will and must depend on God for aid and deliverance. If you've already got money and power, you don't need God. You can go do many things that you couldn't do and would have to pursue the Lord over. Uh-huh. So you could be a poor slave and get rich somehow and buy your freedom. And then you become evil. You could. And the Lord, if you were truly his, he might say, uh-uh, give it away. I'm not finished with where you're at. 
I haven't taught you what I want to teach you. See, but immediately he thinks, because I got this, I can do as I please now. That's how the rich think, and the wealthy and the powerful. They don't consort other people. They got they can do things. A Christian, a poor and an average Christian, has to seek the Lord over these things and get God's mind in these matters. Okay? We're going to stop here. We are in verse 9a, so we'll finish at verse 9a, and then we'll come back to it. Lord, give us wisdom, give us practical understanding, give us your purposes that we'll not be deceived in this deceptive time and the many false religions and false prophets and many of the false Christianities. Give us wisdom in Christ's name. Amen.